0: finish the series today, written in red, and, um, and what you may not know is that this series has been bookended on each end with a miracle story of Jesus healing a blind man. And um, what I want you to see this morning, though, is that there's a lot more to the story of Bartimaeus, this blind man that Jesus heals at the end of chapter 10 in Mark's Gospel. So if you've got a, a Bible in front of you or a smartphone with the app, just go ahead and get to Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46 this morning, and we'll talk a little bit about Bartimaeus. But, but uh, who's in the booth back there? Is that you, JR? Todd. Hey, Todd, go to the last verse in that section things are falling off here. Okay. Good, okay, this is the end of the story. Now, what I want you to see, I want you to see that there's a lot more happening here than just meets the eye. And, and we're not just talking about Jesus' healing vision here. Jesus says to this man, to Bartimaeus, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, the word there comes from the root, soto, which is the word that is most often Translated, saved. Your faith has saved you. It's a word that appears a little over a hundred times in the New Testament. Ninety-three times it's it's translated saved. Nine times it's translated as whole. You have been made whole. Only three times is it translated as healed. Now this is the English Standard Version. But what I want you to see is that what Jesus is saying to this guy is that Bartimaeus, you're in for the right of your life. You. Because of your faith, you have been saved, made whole, and healed. You get that picture? There's a lot more going on here than perhaps just meets the eye. Okay, so But we need to start out where Bartimaeus starts out. Where does he start out? A very easy description for him in Scripture. He's a blind beggar. Okay, So how, if you're a blind beggar, how does your day start out? Okay, Bartimaeus knows there's a place he has to get to. He probably gets up early in the morning. He doesn't experiment with taking a new route every day. He's going to take the most familiar route. He's going to stay on the edges where he can feel this, the, the, where, because touch and because sound become, those those other senses become extremely important when you have lost your sight. So he feels his way along the smoothness of a, perhaps of a, of a wall on a building, perhaps there's a fence that he's become very familiar with, where he just runs his fingers along the you know the you know that the top of a fence, and he makes his way, perhaps he hears the sound of a bucket hitting the bottom of a well, and he knows i 've just passed the the, the the square you know the the center of of the, of the village because because I hear someone dipping water out of the well in the early part of the day, uh, and, and so he's, he uses every faculty that he has still available to him, but he has no sight he can 't see anything, everything is dark to him, and so he he has to make his way as best he can, he feels his way. Until he can feel the rough timbers and the rusted iron on the gates of the city. And then he will he will walk about maybe twenty-five or thirty counted steps to a little piece of real estate about four foot by four foot, where he will plop down, he'll take off his cloak, and he'll lay his cloak out in front of him like this. And he knows the words alms for the poor. But he spreads his cloak out. He doesn't have a tin cup. But that's a newer idea. came from somewhere else. But in that day, a beggar spread his cloak out because it made, for for three reasons, it made a wider net to catch the coins that might be tossed his way. And, And secondly, it created a softer surface so that the coins didn't bounce off as readily when it hit the softer surface. And number three, most people avoided blind people. They didn't usually come close enough to drop something in your cup. They tossed their coins. Often, a blind person could hear chatter and laughter coming down the, the walkway. But when they neared the, the blind, the disabled, the, the the voices would become more subdued as people tried to slip past. But the blind man, he he... He, he learned that the only way he could exist was he had to have somehow the generosity and the pity of others who would toss a coin in his direction. And, and so maybe even sometimes he would put a few coins out in the, in, in, you know, on his cloak to sort of, uh, in a sense, to, to, to get things rolling, as it were. Do you see this picture? Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. That's all he is. It's the same every day for him. Now, he lives in Jericho, and fortunately for him, Jericho is on the route to Jerusalem, the traditional route that has to be traveled when you are on your way to the Passover or to the feasts And generally, the the streets are full of people, a multitude of people, as as Mark will will comment in his story, beginning with verse 1. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, there was a great crowd. There was always a a multitude of people around Jesus, but even more because people were on their way toward the Passover, and that, that traffic pattern began to pick up steam the closer you got to Passover. Now, I know some of you lament because this year you walked into Walmart and the Halloween stuff was right next to the Christmas stuff. That didn't even get the Halloween stuff out of the way before they started Christmas. But if you're a blind beggar, the minute that traffic begins to pick up in the streets, this is the time of year. Feast season, Passover is that time of year when you're going to make the most of your income because that's when people are feeling a little more generous if you will so the streets are crowded there. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just walk you through the narrative that Mark gives us because there are some unusual things in Mark's narrative that I think give evidence to why this story turns out the way it turns out where the blind man gets more than he bargained for. He didn't just get healed. It says, your faith, Bartimaeus, has saved you, has made you whole, is making you a complete man, because you have put your faith in me. So here comes Jesus. He's walking through Jericho with a crowd of people and and is on his way going going southwest toward Jerusalem, about 15 miles, and we're introduced to a man by the name of Bartimaeus. Now, the, the Hebrew word bar means son. So his name means son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus. But Mark gives us an explanation. He redoubles it because he's explaining to a Gentile audience who the, the book of Mark was written probably to the Roman church and, and Gentiles. They wouldn't have understood the Hebrew. So he says his name was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And this is so common, you realize, in Jewish culture. Jesus had a disciple whose name was Bartholomew, which means son of Timaeus. Tolmai. Now, when you compare the list of the disciples, we find out his first name was Nathanael, Nathanael Bartholomew, Nathanael, son of Tolmai. Why, even the early references to Peter, before he really becomes the rock of the church, he's Simon Bar, Jonah, Simon, son of John. So Mark's commentary here implies to the readers that were mostly Gentile, that Bartimaeus is someone they know, someone that the disciples came to know. Now, in Matthew's account of the same story, same narrative, there are two blind beggars. But Mark centers his narrative on only one of them, and this suggests strongly that Bartimaeus and his story were well known in the early church. How many other recipients of divine healing or miracle are called by name in Scripture? Can you think of any? This week I could only think of two Legion, right? Because he identifies himself as having a whole legion of demons who was healed of demonic possession and oppression. But we don't know Legion's real name, do we? We know his nickname. And then there was one other in Mark chapter 14 in Mark's gospel, and his name is Simon the leper, apparently healed of leprosy by Jesus. But we don't hear many names mentioned, many of those who receive miracles mentioned by name. But this one is known. This one is known, apparently, to the early church. They know his story. They know who he is. And so he's passing, Jesus is passing by, and Bartimaeus, he began to, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was passing by. So he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 47 there, he began to cry out. And and this is an interesting word, you know, for Mark, because the, the literal translation of the word here is he began to squawk. It's not like you cry out in a clear, <clears throat> resonant voice. It's kind of like it's that voice. You've all been to the Ranger game? And, you know, the guy that's selling the hot dogs wants to get noticed? Hot dogs! It's that raspy, that irritating, almost obnoxious kind of sound. It's krazo in Greek. It's he squawks loudly. It's, it's an obnoxious kind of sound here. And the word literally means krazo means a raven's call. That's what Mark says Bartimaeus starts to do. And in his cry, he calls out, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. Now, there's Jesus' name with a title behind it. And it stands in direct contrast, people, to the text because what's being announced as Jesus is walking along is that there is a visiting rabbi, a well-known teacher traveling through, headed toward Jerusalem, and he is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth by the way, is not particularly complimentary. It calls attention to the fact that he's not from around here. Um. There, it 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 brings up the question because. There's an absence here of this idea of the lineage to David and the birthplace of David near Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And so, he, so here comes Bartimaeus, and in contrast to what the people are saying, he is squawking and crying out, Jesus, son of David, clearly a messianic title. Now, given it was a militant messianic title, I'll give you that much. But it was Messiah, no less, that he was addressing Now, here's the question I have for you. When was the last time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is given a clear messianic title? Do you remember? All the way back to the beginning of chapter 8. All the way back to the beginning. Right after the first healing of a blind man in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus circles the disciples up in Caesarea right there. the, the apostles specifically, and he says to them, who do men say that I am? And they give him a number of different responses, and then he says, and who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up for the rest and says, you are the Christ, you are Messiah. You are the anointed one, the Christ. That's the last time. And Jesus warns the disciples to tell no one, and so there is no mention of a messianic title for, the, for these next three chapters. Are you following this? Until now. And the words come from a blind beggar in Mark's gospel who sits on a four, by four, four foot by four foot little piece of real estate with his cloak spread out begging for alms. And Jesus makes no attempt to silence him. Does he? I hope you're seeing, Mark is very intentional. There's the blind man's man stories, the bookends, and everything in between is telling us something about, about who Jesus is and his mission. That's, that's why it's, we've called this series Written in Red, because we left the miracle stories and we now come to the very last healing miracle in the Gospels, the healing of Bartimaeus. And it is Bartimaeus, it is Peter that starts out this section on, on, the, on the, the red letters, on the teaching of Jesus about who he is and his mission. It's, G, it's Peter that says, you're the Messiah. And now at the end, it's who? It's a blind beggar. You, you think that's significant? I do. I think it's huge. Verse 48, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, basically shut up. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why did they try to silence him? Why did they try to silence him? Bartimaeus. As one commentator put it, the last time someone was shouting just outside the walls of Jericho, all the walls came tumbling down. I don't think that's the reason. Perhaps it was that his voice was so loud and so obnoxious, the squawking was just so irritating that they just said, Hey, just shut up. Better explanation? was that this was a blind beggar who was marginalized by society. The majority of Jews in that day would have seen his condition as the result of some sinful behavior. Basically, this guy has just become a drain on our society. He's just a blind beggar. He's just a welfare recipient, and he has no voice. So shut up, Barnabas. There's even a third option. Maybe they didn't like his theology all that much. You see, they're all saying, here comes Jesus of Nazareth, and here's somebody squawking. He's the son of David. And so maybe there were some in the crowd that said, what do you know, beggar man? Who makes you think you know what you're talking about? Your theology. So they try to shut him up. But he does what? He cross He squawks like a raven even louder and longer. Son of David, have mercy on me. And here comes this. Verse 49 is huge. You ready? Verse 49. And Jesus stopped. Jesus, and, and the verb there, it means he literally, Jesus, it's participial. Jesus was standing still. See, the gospel has been telling us that Jesus is on a march to Jerusalem. His final goal, his final destination is in sight. His face, we talked about last week, is set like flint toward Jerusalem. He's on a march, and yet he stops in his tracks when he hears a poor beggar's cry. That's huge. You've got to ask yourself, how often does the God of the universe stop, put something on pause to be attentive to one person? It's huge. Does your theology allow for that, that God can get that personal? You've got to ask yourself, I think one of the reasons that Jesus stops and he stands in one place is because he knows that Bartimaeus has the other senses working. And Bartimaeus, because of his acute hearing, will hone in on the location of Jesus where Jesus speaks. And so Jesus stops and he stands still so that Bartimaeus can find him. That's probably the reason. So that Bartimaeus can hone in on him. And so Jesus says... At the end of verse 49. Or at verse 49, he stopped and he said, Call him. He said, Call him. And now notice the crowd changes its tune. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. It's kind of a fickle crowd, isn't it? And then it says, and here's the detail that Mark gives us that I love. And and Mark tells us, and throwing off his cloak. That didn't mean he took his cloak off and laid it down somewhere. You know what that you know what Mark is describing for us? He tossed his cloak out of the way so that it wouldn't encumber him on his steps to get to Jesus. He went straight for Jesus. And so he just the he threw the cloak aside and all the chains that had been collected for the day in it. He just cast it all aside and he went for Jesus. Made a beeline for Jesus. He sprang up, it says, and he came to Jesus. I think it's really interesting, and I don't know how significant we should make it, but you realize that here Bartimaeus throws his cloak aside, and in the very next chapter, when Jesus enters in Jerusalem, all of the people will begin to take off of their cloaks and do what? Cast them down. In front of Jesus' donkey, his, you know, this unridden colt that Jesus is riding on. And the people will begin to shout, Hosanna! Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, the coming kingdom of our father David. They'll ascribe to Jesus the very things that Barnabas is saying here on the road toward Jerusalem, and they will cast their cloak. I think Mark maybe is just giving us a little bit of a preview of what's ahead with that detail. So here comes Bartimaeus. He makes a beeline to Jesus. He springs up on his feet, is the word there. And he comes to Jesus, and look at verse 51, and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Did you hear the question? What do you want me to do for you? Okay. Does that question sound familiar? I mean, Were you here last week? Where did we hear that question before? Jesus asked the same question to two disciples, James and John. And the interesting thing about Mark's text here is the words are exact. It's exactly the same question with one change. There's a singular pronoun at the end when he asks Barnabas. There's a plural pronoun at the end when he asks James and John. But all the words, the question is exactly the same. You can almost just see Jesus asking the question and just glancing over where James and John are standing. You guys listening? Remember all that personal ambition I had to deal with last week? No, just minutes ago in the text. Are you getting that? Is Mark, loading, Mark is loading this thing up for us, guys. I mean, he's trying to say something of, of significance about what's going on with, you know, with this crowd and with Bartimaeus. Identical words. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And once again, Mark throws another curve, okay? It's not the word, it's not the typical word for rabbi. You might have guessed, huh? Okay, it's the word rabboni. The word rabboni, it's a very intensely personal, personal word or title given to to a master, it, it's like saying, "Translate, my master, my lord, Rabboni. I mean, Mark throws us a curve. It's, this word is only found twice in all of the New Testament. That's why I honed in on it this week. It's only found one other place in the New Testament. Guess where? In the garden, after Jesus has been laid in a tomb. Mary Magdala comes to the garden searching for his body and encounters a man she thinks is the gardener. And when Jesus opens her eyes and she sees Jesus, she calls him Rabboni, my Lord, my Savior, my teacher. I mean, it's a very intensely personal, kind of, and it's rolling off the lips of a blind beggar here. Okay, everybody just come on just scratch your heads together. Let's go. What is going on here? See, there were four gradations of that term in the Hebrew. You could be a rab. The second gradation you could be a rabbi, a teacher. You could be a rabbon. But if you were wanted to be you wanted to give the highest honor to someone to a teacher, to someone who is a master, you gave him rabboni. And so in verse 52, Jesus said to him, On your way, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately, we're told, he recovered his sight. Now what he asks for is for the recovery of sight. It's the word anablepo in the Greek. It means he was asking that his sight be restored. Apparently he could see it one time, so he knew what he was missing out on. He had gone blind at some point in his life. We do not know when, but he asked for the recovery of his sight, and Jesus gives him his sight back. And then the last phrase, and he followed him on the way. And the verb there is in the imperfect tense in the Greek, which we have talked about many times in here. It stresses the idea of continuous action. This guy began to follow Jesus, and he didn't stop following Jesus. He followed Jesus mark says literally in the way in the way okay all right so what is mark saying about that day i'm going to summarize it for you because i think this is what he's saying for us today okay mark is saying that there were people there was a whole crowd of people around jesus even those who were close to him like disciples, like apostles, and especially those who were the, the critical eyed ones like religious leaders and, and the scribes and the Pharisees. And there was a whole multitude of people uh, um, who, you know, who were surrounding Jesus, who were in the crowd that day. But there was only one person who had spiritual eyes. There was one. And he was physically blind. The only person who really saw Jesus was physically blind. And because he came to faith, because he believed in Jesus, because of his faith, his sight was not only restored, but his whole life changed and the course of his life was altered forever. And so for Mark, Bartimaeus... Who is known in the early church becomes the poster boy of a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Now, here's why. Okay, can I just, I'm gonna run through this real quickly for you. William Barclay, in his little commentary, says this is the perfect summary of the stages of discipleship modeled in the life of Bartimaeus. Okay, so let's talk about what Bartimaeus has working for him here. Okay, you ready? You ready? Number one, he's not satisfied with where he is. He's not satisfied with where he is. He wants more out of life. He wasn't willing just to accept his fate. He wasn't willing to stay on a four foot by four foot little piece of real estate and be dependent all of his life and to blame others and to, you know, somehow, and somehow just, you know, whine and take and let people just be take pity on him. He wanted more. He knows he wants more, and he knows he can't get there on his own. So he wants more. He's not satisfied. That's the first step of discipleship. There's a reason why some of us are not being disciples here is because we've gotten pretty satisfied with our lives. So we're just so, so dang casual about it, aren't we? Let's just show up when we want to and, you know, take it easy. Let's not get too radical here. And I'm saying, as long as we're satisfied, we'll sit on our four-by-four four little piece of real estate. Secondly, he has sheer persistence going for him. He is persistent. He keeps, keeps calling out to Jesus, and he will not be deterred by others. He's not going to let anything stop him. Um... And so he's calling out to Jesus, but you realize at the same time that he's calling out to Jesus, his prayer is going out to Jesus. He's also listening for Jesus, for a response from Jesus. You get that? He's persistent in his call. Number three, Bartimaeus knows that Jesus owes him nothing. He doesn't see himself as deserving by any means. He cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't have any sense of entitlement here. Not, in, contra- in contrast to, to James and John, which are clearly have to be in Mark's mind because he uses the very same question for both. What do you want me to do? Barnabas, he wants mercy. He, he he, he doesn't think Jesus owes him anything. Isn't it funny how we start getting thinking we're entitled? Yeah. It's amazing. It's hard to grow when we when you, when you stay there. It's really hard to grow. Fourth, he knows just enough and he believes just enough that Jesus' power will help him. Now, like I said, he calls out Son of David, so he doesn't have his theology all figured out yet. He doesn't understand the cross. He, there's still things he doesn't get, but he, but he cries out to Jesus. He believes Jesus is Messiah and his theology. He's going he's gonna to learn more. See, and, and the point of that is, if you're going to become a disciple, you don't have to know it all before you become a disciple. But what you have to do is respond to what you do know. You have to trust. At some point, you've got to begin trusting Jesus and, and recognizing that, that as you go, you're going to learn more and more about who he is and what he's about and how he works as he reveals himself more and more. But he, he, has, he knows enough that he's going to stake his claim. He's going to believe Jesus has power and authority. Those two things, because that's what that title means. And then he hears Jesus call. He's been calling out, persistently calling out. When he hears Jesus call, what does he do? He leaps into action. He he, he leaps at his chance. You realize faith always involves a leap. There's always a leap. You see, you can say all day long, you believe something, but only when you act on it, only when you actually do something with it, are you taking the leap of faith. Are you actually actualizing what you believe? And boy, Bartimaeus, he's ready. He's, he has a ready response. He leaps to his feet, and he, and he makes a beeline toward Jesus. There's a sixth thing I see there. He asks plainly and directly for what he needs. He asks in a very plain and very clear way. For what he needs from Jesus. Because he'll get exactly what he needs. And seven, his faith is focused in the right place. His faith is focused in the right place. Where? On the person of Jesus. You see, the beauty of it is he's come to the right place. He's found the right person, person who actually can answer the prayer of his life, the need of his life. And then last, last thing, he's not satisfied with an ordinary life. See, Jesus says, okay, Bartimaeus, go your way. Your faith has made you well and whole. Jesus gives him permission. You see, Jesus doesn't beg any of us to become disciples. Have you noticed that? We seem to think he's really worried about that. Like he just wrings his hands because we're not like following him. He's, he's the Lord. He has everything we need. And Bartimaeus recognizes that, so he comes to, to, to Jesus. But Bartimaeus, you see, the reason he's a disciple is because he doesn't want to live an ordinary kind of life. So what does he do? He gets in behind Jesus and he starts following, in, you know, imperfect verb, and he keeps following Jesus. He's on the adventure. I'm not satisfied just to stay where I am. Just having a better life. Jesus, I want your life. I want your life. Okay, I'm out of time. We in this room are all blind beggars. Has he opened your eyes today to anything? Has he opened your eyes today to anything? Then you pray it back to him. You go to him. Now. He's the only one. With power and authority. To really bring change. To our lives. So let's pray.